Good morning, Five Stones Church. Welcome to all who are tuning in to our online broadcast. And we're super excited to have some of our members with us in person this morning. All right, well, we're going to start our new summer series. We're really excited. We're going to be preaching from the Song of Songs. And as you know, we've been advertising for people to share their testimonies. And we're really excited for different members of the church to share uh, their stories. Um, But before we get into those, which will start next week, I'm going to lay the foundation and overview uh, this Sunday uh, for this book that we're going to be preaching from. So if you want to open in your Bibles or your Bible apps to the Song of Songs, I'm going to read the first few verses for us here. This is what it says. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. Oh, that you would kiss me with the kisses of your mouth. For your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out. Therefore the maidens love you. Draw me after you. Let us make haste. The king has brought me into his chambers. This last little phrase, I kind of get this movie scene in my mind where the king in his royalty brings his beloved into the chambers The door quietly shuts behind them, and then we fade out. Uh, These are the opening verses of Song of Songs. It immediately sets the tone. It's vivid. It's romantic. It's suggestive. It gets the fire going. And this is going to give us a taste of what's to come in this book. So let me open with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for just how you speak to us, how your scripture is, is so complete. And we ask this morning, Father God, as we listen to the preaching of the word, that your Holy Spirit would touch our hearts and speak to our minds. Lord, to just remove any lethargy, remove any passivity, and bring us, Father God, into a spiritual intensity. We commit this word to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. So the title of my message this morning is Spiritual Intensity. And I want to start out by saying that if you've ever thought that God is a boring prudish, or Victorian God, they only need to read the Song of Songs because it will instantly wake you up and grab your attention. You're thinking, God wrote this? How did this book get into the Bible? I can't believe what I'm reading. Indeed, I'm going to be reading words and passages, and were not for the fact that it's God who wrote it, I would certainly blush and be a little bit hesitant to even say some of the phrasing and words. But this is what I adore about God. He is dynamic and real and honest and wholly invested in the human experience. And Song of Songs represents part of God's entire counsel. One of the things that we do as preachers is to preach whole books at a time. This is to make sure that over time you get a picture of the complete Bible. There's nothing wrong with topical preaching. Jesus did it himself. But when we systematically make our way through each book of the Bible, this is called expository preaching. So we don't leave something out regarding who God is, his ways, and his thoughts. If God is God, then it takes time and effort to explore his vastness, to understand his whole heart and mind. We don't just pick our favorite books to preach from and ignore the other books. That would be to describe him. In our modern culture, There's a lot of pressure on us as preachers to preach the popular themes and to stay away from the hard ones. 
But when you're committed to expository preaching, you're forced to preach from topics and themes that might make people squirm and feel uncomfortable. For instance, we just finished our series from the Minor Prophets earlier this year. And it's not easy to talk about the judgment of God, the justice of God, the wrath of God. And yet we must because it's part of God's full counsel. It's part of his full personality. We can't just talk about love and hope and kindness as prominent as it is in the Bible. We also need to talk about his anger and his righteousness and his holiness. To not do so is to misrepresent God. And more than ever, we need an accurate and complete picture of who God is. Not an a la carte picture where we pick and choose what we want. To do so is to create a God in our own image. And as much as we think we've come up with a good picture of who God is, in fact, it's a mangled, disfigured picture devoid of God's power and fullness. That is not the truth that will set you free. Which brings us to the Song of Songs because it's part of the full counsel of God. God in his genius included in this holy book a book about love and romance and sex and physicality and the passionate experience between a man and a woman. God has not vacated and left the realm of sexuality to outside experts. He speaks directly to it himself. I think that's pretty amazing. Because he created romance and pleasure, God speaks openly and without shame about it. It's not taboo to him, contrary to popular opinion. God has lots to say about it because he's the ultimate expert on this subject. Not Dr. Ruth, not Ann Landers, not pornographic producers. God is the expert. But how do you talk about this arena without it becoming lewd? or degrading, or disgusting, or crude. You put it into poetic form. You craft it as a drama. You paint pictures and use metaphors. If you study closely all the, the words that are used in this book, there's 21 allusion to plants. Blossoms, lilies, apple trees, saffron, cinnamon. And there's 15 allusions related to animals, gazelles, fawns, lions. Now you have to remember that King Solomon, who wrote this book, was an expert in horticulture and zoology. So he drew on all his body of knowledge to describe what love is about. You also use song as a way to write about it. Did you know that Solomon was a songwriter? Not only was he the wisest man to ever live, he was also an author of songs. And the Bible says that he wrote 1,005 songs. Very precise. 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 32. I think that's super cool. And Solomon clearly inherited some of the musical talent from his dad. Right? We know that King David is so well-known being a harpist and a psalmist and a songwriter. And some of that DNA passed down to Solomon. And he inherited some of that skill. And so this book is called Song of Songs because it's the best of the best. This was his choicest song. It was his biggest hit. And how fitting that it should be about love. This is the genius of Solomon, the earthly author of this book. He was the third king of Israel after Saul and David. And he took this hot topic and made it beautiful and powerful and compelling, yet without taking the sizzle out of it. 
In fact, there's, if there's any book in the Bible that needed a parental rating, this would be it. This is PG-13, maybe PG-16. If you think about it, if there was anyone qualified to talk about sex and the passionate physical relationship between a man and a woman, it would be Solomon. The Bible says that by the end of his life, Solomon had accumulated 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. 1 Kings 11, verse 3. I can barely keep up with one wife, let alone 700 wives. In total, he had 1,000 relationships under his stewardship. So from an experience standpoint, few were as qualified as Solomon to speak about this subject. And it's all written right here in front of us in these eight chapters. And I encourage you all to read this book in preparation for this series. It'll take you maybe 20 minutes. So you get a bird's eye view of what we're going to be preaching on. And I specifically encourage you to read it in the NIV and make special note how, how the NIV outlines this book because it will help you to better understand the flow and the conversations that are going on. Otherwise, it's easy to get lost as to who is speaking what, which I'm going to speak to in a moment. But in terms of the literary quality or approach of this book, the theme is clear. It's about romantic love, inclusive of its ecstatic and climactic physical experience. But it's very layered in its execution. There's a poetic layer. There's a physicality layer. There's an emotional layer, a narrative layer with a lot of dramatic elements. There's the practical layer, how to be a great lover. Lately, some preachers have turn this book into a sex manual, which I think is quite a faddish thing to do and takes away from the beauty of what this book is supposed to be about. Indeed, there is a practical side, but just to focus on that is to rob this book of its total message. There's a historical layer. These are events that actually happened. And there's the allegorical or spiritual doctrinal layer. There is many layers and flavors to this book as a piece of tiramisu cake. And as we preach through this book over the next several weeks, we're going to speak to these different layers. So let's set the stage. What is the storyline? This is a love story between a powerful king and a humble peasant girl. The powerful king is Solomon, the wisest, wealthiest, and probably the most handsome king to ever live. If you trace his backstory, you know that his father was King David, and his mother was Bathsheba. And that was a very sad and terrible chapter in the life of King David because he actually had committed adultery with Bathsheba. And one of the things that drew David into that illicit relationship was Bathsheba's beauty. And the Bible says that she was not only attractive, she was very attractive. In other words, she was incredibly gorgeous. After their first son died, David married Bathsheba, and they had a second son who was Solomon. And Solomon came of great stock, and he was born as a beautiful baby and grew into a very handsome king, prince, and then king. Later on, if you study here in Song of Songs, you find out that the, the physical characteristics of Solomon are described. He had wavy, raven black hair. The Bible said he had eyes of a dove, and his body was like 
polished ivory. He was not a flabby king. He was in shape and he looked great. Probably had a six pack. His legs were like pillars of marble. He was handsome and altogether lovely. Choice as cedars of Lebanon and dazzling. These are verses from chapter 5 and chapter 1. He basically was like the Brad Pitt or Tom Cruise of that time. And Solomon had it all besides his good looks. He had palaces and gardens and servants and gold and chariots. Choices, food, fame, and glory, and his united kingdom was a dominion of peace. The word Solomon means peace, and indeed he lived up, lived up to his name. He was a king of peace. Now at the time of this book's writing, King Solomon was in the early part of his reign. He didn't have his 1,000 wives and concubines. Rather, he had 140 queens and concubines. That's what it says in chapter 6, verse 8. He had the company of these 140 beautiful women. So he's on his way to his 1,000, but at the time of this writing, he had 140 beautiful women, but nothing would compare to the young Shulamite woman that he would meet, and that's the subject of this book. He described this Shulamite woman as flawless in her beauty. Chapter 4, verse 7, chapter 5, verse 2. In the NASB, it says that she was without blemish and she was perfect. From head to toe, she was stunning. The word Shulamite refers to the town that she came from, which was called Shunem. This gives you just a little picture of how the city was situated in reference to Jerusalem where King Solomon lived. It was a town that was a little southwest of the Sea of Galilee there. And it was in Shunem that Solomon met her because she was a worker in one of his vineyards. And even though she was a worker in the fields and he was the king, they fell madly in love and their romance became the most treasured relationship of Solomon. She is the only one of his thousand wives that he wrote a whole book about. She stole his heart and he stole hers. It was a magical time in Solomon's life, so much so that Solomon couldn't just write about it in plain language as if it was a diary entry. Rather, he put it to poetry. And so we have this incredible, intimate, heart-pounding, emotional, highly revealing look at the inner thoughts and feelings that occurred between Solomon and his beloved. As you read this book, you get to read about their inner dialogue, their inner emotions, as they walk through their courtship, their wedding night. I mean, who writes about their wedding night and their love after that? And it definitely gets steamy in parts. And you have to marvel at the perfect use of language to describe certain scenes, which include a couple bedroom scenes. For dramatic effect, Solomon inserts a narrative element throughout the book, using an audience outside the scenes that add their applause and approval and comments to the th things as they unfold. So as you read through the book, there are three voices. He, referring to King Solomon. She, referring to his beloved or the Shulamite woman. And then friends. Commentators said that the audience outside the scene were the, the friends of the bride. So you have those three voices 
And when you know that, it helps you to understand who is saying what and how the conversation is evolving. Now, commentators have noted how difficult this book is to outline, and it, indeed, it is very hard to outline. So if you study it from various sources, you'll find different ways in which this book is broken down, but don't get tripped up by it because the main thing is to know who is talking when, and then you'll just catch the momentum of the story. So you stand back as you take this all in and you ask, what is God saying through this passionate, riveting story? What is it picturing for us in terms of our walk with God? The answer is God is taking an earthly relational picture to depict the kind of spiritual intensity we should have with him. In the same way that Solomon and his beloved were smitten with each other, smitten with each other's beauty. I, I love the phrasing that's going on. It says that they were lovesick. In fact, there are 49 words or phrases that are unique to the Song of Songs and not used anywhere else in the Bible. But the scripture says that they were faint with love, chapter 2, verse 5. And so this pictures for us that the Holy Spirit is also calling us to be caught up in the beauty of God. Seeing his beauty is called revelation. And this is what God has for us. God wants to reveal his preeminent beauty, his unsurpassed glory and radiance. And because we are created for beauty, we love beautiful things. We're bonded, bonded to it, and we're drawn by beauty. God is a beautiful God. In some ways, we can describe the war that is going on between God and the world as a beauty contest. The world tries to paint God as ugly as possible. He's judgmental. He's narrow. He's old-fashioned. He's boring. He's outdated. He's so yesteryear. And Karl Marx even formulated into a doctrine that Jesus is an opium for the masses. Truth be told, the world has done a pretty good job with their disinformation campaign because many have bought into the lie that God is ugly. Why is it that our church attendance is sparse? Why is it that church attendance is irregular? Why is it that people, when they wake up on Sunday morning, are not thinking about and passionate about getting to church and to experiencing God because they've missed out on his beauty? They have in their mind programmed that God is a distant, faraway God. What would I want to do with that kind of person? And so we're living in an environment where the prince of darkness is constantly trying to obscure and hide the beauty of God. Many have bought into that lie, but nothing could be further from the truth. There's no more beautiful scene, no more beautiful panorama than God. He is the ultimate in gorgeous. He is altogether stunning. He is breathtaking. As you read through the Song of Songs and you read the words of the Shulamite woman and she's extolling King Solomon, that's the heart of the church, extolling who Jesus is. This stunning, amazing, glorious king. Part of the tension of this story is the power distance between King Solomon and the Shulamite woman. We're talking about royalty coming along in his chariots and his retinue. And then seeing this woman out in the fields, and he catches her eye, she catches his eye. And all of a sudden, there's this moment like, no way, is he looking at me? How could this be? The king has the most beautiful women in the palace. Why is he looking this direction? And so there's this 
this moment, this growing feeling, this growing sense where this, this woman in the fields is like, I'm not good enough to receive the affection of the king. And that's how we are as the church. We feel like we're not good enough. We feel like we don't measure up enough. How is it that God would look at us, that Jesus would count us to be worthy to go into the king's palace? And yet that's what Jesus does. He brings us to the royal palace. He brings us into his presence. And we become the most treasured of them all. It's a phenomenal picture. Another way to say it is the degree to which we see God's beauty is the degree to which we will be passionate and aflame for God. The degree to which we see God's glory is the degree to which we will be spiritually intense. Lukewarm Christianity is a contradiction in terms. It's an oxymoron. How can you see the beauty of God and not be undone by it? Did the woman caught in adultery not see the beauty of God? When everyone was about to stone her and Jesus was writing in the sand and releases her from her judgment and her darkness and her sin, did she not see the beauty of God in that moment? Did not the woman at the well see the beauty of God? A woman who had been trampled by so many relationships, working on her sixth marriage. And who was this man that would speak to a Samaritan woman? And speak to her in a dignified and honorable way. God gives Jesus supernatural information. And her heart all of a sudden awakens that she is having a God encounter. And she's like, we're in Samaria. We're in the region where religious things don't happen. We need to be in Jerusalem. And yet Jesus draws near to her. Unlocks her heart. And as a result of that encounter, the Bible tells us that she goes to her village evangelizes that village and ignites a revival. She saw the beauty of God. Did not the sinful woman see the beauty of God and then she dared to wipe Jesus' feet with her hair? If you just settle on that scene for a little while, Jesus comes in to this dinner and this, this woman hears about Jesus' reputation. She comes and she pours ointment on his feet. And she's not even in front of him. She's behind him. And she's down on her knees. And she's so grateful and so thankful that she starts using her hair to wipe his feet. She saw the beauty of God. Did not Peter see the beauty of God after the catching of the fish and then left everything to follow him? Oh, he was playing the religious person. He was speaking the right words. Yes, Jesus, if you tell me to let down the nets, I'll do it. But he had no faith in his heart. He had no idea that God was going to do something great. And so many of us are in that same place. We're mouthing the right words, but the reality of faith is not in our hearts. And then God in his graciousness and mercy moves in our lives and our unfaithfulness and our unbelief is exposed, but we've received the blessing of God. And so Peter falls down and says, depart from me for I'm a sinful man. But as a result of seeing God's beauty, he leaves everything to follow him. Did not Zacchaeus see the beauty of God and give half of his fortune away to the poor? Now you know something radical has happened. Something transformational has happened when someone can let go of their money. We have a hard time letting go of $10 or $100. And this man gave away half of his fortune 
in a blink of an eye because that's what the beauty of God will do. That's the power of revelation. Did not Moses see the beauty of God at the burning bush and return to Egypt, the place of his demise, the place where he said, you know what, my destiny is over, my calling is over, I've killed an Egyptian, I'm leaving Pharaoh's palace. And all of a sudden, God is calling him to go back to that place of hurt and say, I'm actually going to use you to deliver the Israelites. And of course, he has this hesitation with God and says, I don't speak well. I stutter and I stammer. And yet the beauty of God released him from his own limitations. On and on we can go. What possessed people to do such radical things? The glory and the beauty of God. He is the dazzling one of Scripture. Chapter 5, verse 10. This is why King David prayed in Psalm 27. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To do what? To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. There was some kind of spiritual intelligence that David had that got transmitted to Solomon. Solomon understood that his father had such insight about how faith works and about how passion works and how about how spiritual intensity works. And David said, of all the things that I would ask, <coughs> not for fame, not for glory, not for greater songs, not for victory over my enemies. No, I want to behold the beauty of the Lord. From this, we see that our spiritual intensity depends on, comes from, and is fueled by the seeing of God's beauty. It's a very visual exercise. Just as God opens our natural eyes to see beauty in a future partner, so God opens our eyes, our spiritual eyes, to see him. He already sees us as gorgeous. That's the crazy thing. In our Adamic nature, in our fallen nature, of course we're covered with sin. Of course we're covered with shame. Of course we're covered with all the things that are wrong with our lives. But God sees us through the cross. He sees us through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And he says, that's my beautiful, glorious bride without spot or wrinkle. In, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 27, it says, and anything like it, there's no blemish in his bride. We are the Shulamite woman. Just as Solomon was so taken with this beautiful, beautiful lady, so God is taken with us. So he sees us in this way. We just need to see him in the same way. In this regard, Song of Songs is about the rules of attraction. What is it that makes us gravitate to someone? Now, there are a thousand answers to this question, therefore a thousand stories. And this is why we're pairing testimonies with this series, Modern Day Song of Songs. We get to hear how God captured the hearts of different ones from our church, how various couples fell in love with each other, and what it was that drew them to one another. Well, what was it that drew someone to God? In total, we're going to have nine testimonies, four singles, and five couples sharing in alternate weeks. Hannah Barlin, Hiromi Suzuki, David Barlin, we're going to be sharing from the individual side. 
Alex and Jesse Pearson, Stephen and Pamela Lee, Linda and Jordy Ketchum, Andrew and Maria Chang, and Rebecca and Stu Weir. I'm going to share from the couple side. And to start us off next week, Ben Park will be sharing his story. And being a songwriter, I asked him six months ago to write some songs for this series. So next week, fittingly, as this book is called Song of Songs, Ben will be performing three original songs that he's written for this occasion. I think the saying is he's going to drop his songs. <laughs> it's going to be great. And by the way, Ben is our new worship coordinator and tech director. This is the Sunday in which Mimi is passing the baton to him. So we look forward to that. You know, when I fell in love with Mimi, there were several things that just drew me to her so strongly. When I saw her worshiping on stage, I saw a total abandonment to God. No holding back, just total love for Jesus. Wow, her spirit just touched my spirit, and that killed me. And that perception of who she was has proven to be true and held true for all these 30 years of our marriage. It's never flickered, it's never dimmed. One of the few social settings that I saw her in before I proposed to her, some of you know our story that I asked Mimi to marry me after three days. We were with a group of young people watching a movie, and I never saw someone so immersed in a film, yelling, screaming, clutching, jumping, reacting to every scene as if she was there. She was more entertaining than the movie itself. It was awesome. I said, I want to marry that girl. And then I love her childlike faith, how she delights in some of the simplest things in life. To this day, she loves slushies from 7-Eleven, potato chips from the corner store, and Coca-Cola floats from Burger King. Now, I know that sounds trivial, but isn't that what Song of Songs is about? The nuances that actually captivate us, a person's laugh, the sound of their voice, the way they walk, curls in their hair. One of my friends in college said the first thing that she notices about a guy is his eyes. That was a revelation to me because I never noticed the color of other people's eyes. And then more predictably, I was talking to an eligible bachelor one time and asked, what attracted him most about girls? And he said, the first thing I notice is their derriere. Give me a girl with a nice tush. And then he made this <laughs> sound. <laughs> it's funny, but this is the stuff of attraction. Proverbs 5 says this. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. By the way, Solomon is writing this now. Okay, Solomon is a little bit older when he writes Proverbs. So he's already written the Song of Songs, and now you hear a refrain going on in Proverbs. And so in Chapter 5, verse 18 and 19 says, Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth as a loving hind and a graceful doe. Let her breasts satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated, as in be taken, be intense. Intensely enjoy her love. This also explains in part the unexplainable. Why some people pick someone to marry that you would have never guessed, right? Don't you have friends that have married someone and you go, that person? Why? 
I would have never guessed that they were that type. But that question is really about how someone is drawn by a beauty in ways that you did not realize. There's something magical about what makes us alive and excited and passionate. (coughs) And this is the world that God has created for us as it relates to love. It's unexpected and it's delightful. Again, Solomon says in Proverbs chapter 30, three things are too wonderful for me, four I do not understand. The way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a serpent on a rock, the way of a ship on the high seas, and the way of a man with a maiden. It's a mystery. We don't get it. But that's exactly how God designed it to be. I want to play this clip for us. It's a two-minute clip. And it's a testimony about how Eugene Peterson and his wife Janice fell in love. Now, you heard me refer to Eugene Peterson several weeks back. He's the the famous author of The Message Translation, former professor at Regent here in in Vancouver. And so let's run this video and uh, listen to this testimony. I always wanted a beard, but I became a pastor just during the days of the, the hippies. And, you know, everybody was really spooked about that and the drugs and the sex and the, and the beards. <laughs> so I knew I couldn't, I couldn't wear a beard because I was in a new congregation. Nobody knew me. I was going to be a monk. I mean, in my head. I was in my senior year in college. My girlfriend said she wanted to go to this InterVarsity meeting and this young man was leading the singing. So uh, I saw her, I spotted her in the second, second row. I just kept looking at him and thinking, I really liked his looks. I liked his smile, I liked the twinkle of his eyes when he smiled and he smiled a lot. And I thought, mm, I'm gonna have to start going back to InterVarsity. <laughs> I said, Bob, I met a really nice girl. He said, what's her name? I said, Janice. Janice who? Oh, I didn't get her last name. You Christians, you are so stupid. How do you even manage to propagate? Went to the cashier and said, I want a dead dollars worth of dimes. That was a dime for a phone call in those days. And uh, he pushed me into a phone booth and said, you start calling. Well, there were 67 stubs in Baltimore. He started at the top of the list and then down kept going, and my dad's name was Vincent. So Vincent Stubbs, it was pretty far down. And on the sixth call, um, the man said, well, she's next door right now. Can I ask who's calling? Suddenly, I was a monk no more. (laughs) I show this video because it illustrates the wonder of love. How an everlasting spark can fly over the darnest thing. The littlest thing. A smile, the twinkle in his eye, as Janice said when she saw him as a senior in college. And he noticed the girl sitting in the second row. And those little things led to a lifetime of devotion and faithfulness to each other. I mean, one moment Eugene was wanting to be a monk, and the next moment he couldn't wait to get married. I love the part about him getting $10 worth of dimes. 
He was ready to make 100 calls if he needed to, to track down Janice. And there were 67 stubs in the phone book that he had to call. That's zeal. That's intensity. That's motivation. I really want to marry that girl. Thankfully, he only had to make six calls before he reached the right home. And as Eugene said, suddenly I was a monk no more. Eight months later, they got married, which led to a marriage of 60 years. Love wrecks our lives in the best way possible. And this is what God is after in the Song of Songs, to wreck our lives with his beauty and forever make us passionate for him all the days of our life. We might be going through COVID. We might be going through riots in the city. We might be wrestling through racial issues. But I tell you, this book represents something so crucial to the spiritual life of the church. If we can get back this kind of intensity, if we can get this kind of passion, we will shine, we will draw people, we will point people to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is the answer for all our societal ills. He is the answer for all our difficulties and problems. It doesn't mean that we just offer simplistic answers because the answers are very complicated. But we will have the grace, we will have the words, we will have the anointing and power to articulate a hope that the world does not have. The world is looking to the world to solve its problems and it's not going to work because it's inside the same system. They need someone outside the system as in Jesus Christ to come and break the logjam. But we represent the kingdom on earth and we have to be alive. We have to have some passion. We have to have some zip. <coughs> the best part about God's beauty is that it can never be exhausted. For all of eternity, we will be enraptured by him. This is why there's going to be eternal singing and worship in heaven. It's not the best song with the replay button on. We will forever see new things about the beauty of God. And when we see that beauty, new inspiration comes. And hence, our worship and singing will forever be new and fresh. God is a God of eternity. There is no end point to the revelation. It's hard to even imagine. We see the Pacific Ocean. We see the Swiss Alps. We see the Grand Canyon. We see these amazing things that God has created in the earth. And yet, that's just a foretaste of what it's going to be like when we are with God forever and ever. And this is why Christians can possess spiritual intensity and be deeply in love with God all the days of our lives until God takes us home. We're fueled by the ongoing revelation of God's beauty. Now I could go on and on and start to itemize, well, what is it that you're talking about, Pastor Rich, in terms of God's beauty? I don't want to give you all the answers right now. I want you to ponder it. I want you to think about it. I want you to meditate. I want you to try to find the treasure that God wants you to find. Now, some of you have ready answers because you've experienced it. But God wants to give all of us even more. I'm going to pray here. Father, we come before you right now. We ask you, Father God, to thaw any coolness in our hearts. And that you begin to stir up, Father God, the ardor and the passion that we see in the Song of Songs. That you stir up, Father God, that intensity that we see between King Solomon and the Shulamite woman. 
Lord, there was such an intensity, it was almost embarrassing. And yet, God, your love is otherworldly. And we find depths in our soul and we find areas in our heart that we never knew could be expanded to that place. You want us to be containers, God, of that heavenly love and that passionate relationship with you. We are crying out, God, to touch your church with a zeal that we have not experienced before and a joy that we have not tasted before. We echo, Father God, this morning the cry and the prayer of David's heart in Psalm 27. One thing have I desired of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord, the presence of the Lord, so that I can behold the beauty of God. Let a spirit of wisdom and revelation into Jesus Christ come upon all who call Five Stones Church their home. Holy Spirit, have your way and let it spill out, God, all over this city. We thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen.